Hello everyone, welcome and or welcome back to the podcast. I've been meaning to watch that. I am your one and only host, Monica. Thank you so much for returning. I am so happy that you are here listening to this week's pod. Well, this Wednesday pod. I know that last week, I think I didn't do a Wednesday one, and I'm really sorry about that, but I have one. This is a Wednesday pod for y'all. So hey, what's up? How's it, how's it going? I hope you guys like the Monday pod about the Chris Watts documentary. Um, the documentary was like pretty good, but I feel like it fell short in certain aspects. And I do hope to do like more true crime stuff, possibly for Monday pods, or maybe I'll just go to like more like happier films. I'm not sure yet, but for this Wednesday pod, uh, as you know, Wednesdays are the days where I don't really do like one movie review, but I talk about like a group or a selection of TV shows and movies based around a central theme of sorts. Like I did one, um, I remember like one podcast I did was Netflix and its storytelling problem where I talked about Cuties, 13 Reasons Why, and Insatiable, talking about how Netflix has a problem in the shows in the selections that they have where the shows that they have are kind of harmful in the way that they are written and in the way that the narrative is told. That's one of my more favorite episodes of Wednesday Pods. But this week's pod is focused less on like themes in certain TV shows and movies and it's focused on directors. And I do want to do more pods where I study directors' works because I find that um, there are so many amazing films and there are great actors, but I feel like directors and like writers and cinematographers are really amazing, important people that do deserve to have their works kind of like examined. And I do have to say, first of all, like I'm not like a film major. I'm not a film student. I don't know a lot about movies. I just like to watch movies and TV shows and I have a lot of opinions on them. And this is where I go to talk about them, you know? And I also want to say that like, this podcast, I will oftentimes be late on like certain trends and movies and stuff like that. I'm not really someone who like follows trendy movies or whatever. I don't watch movies when they first come out. I like to watch things after everyone else has watched them and you know, I kind of fall behind. I kind of fall behind the curve sometimes, but you know, I get there eventually, sooner or later. So today I want to talk about your ghost. Lanthimos and if you haven't heard of him I'm sure you've heard of the film The Favorite which came out in 2018 starring Olivia Coleman, Rachel Weiss, I think that's how her I think that's how you say her last name and um Emma Stone. Emma Stone? I was gonna say Emma Watson but I know that's not her name hold on what is Emma Stone yes Emma Stone okay because when I said Emma Stone I was thinking of that other girl from Scream Queens, uh, I forget, Emma, no, is her name Emma, Emma Thompson? I'm not sure, Emma Thompson? Why are there so many Emma Thompson? Oh wait, Emma Thompson is the older woman. No, Emma Thompson, she was like, Emma Thompson, dang it, frick. What's that other girl I'm thinking of? Forget it, forget it. Y'all know who I'm talking about. The girl who was in American Horror Story and Scream Queens and like that really bad movie, Little Italy. I think she's in the Netflix movie Holiday. She, I don't know, I don't remember. Anyways, enough about that. Um, gosh. Yeah, I like to, sorry about that. Um, so Yorgos Lanthimos. Yorgos Lanthimos, he is a Greek film director film and stage director, producer and screenwriter. He has received four Academy Award nominations for his work, including Best Foreign Language Film for Dogtooth, Best Original Screenplay for The Lobster in 2015, and Best Picture and Best Director for The Favorite in 2018. Lanthimos is an amazing director. I think he's really awesome. And I'm gonna talk about his three most recent films because I haven't gone around to watching um, dog tooth or alps but i have seen the lobster the killing of a sacred deer and the favorite and i love these three movies i think they're amazing and really cool i find yorgos i find lanthimos's films to be very like thought-provoking in a way i think one trademark in his films is that all of the uh characters are kind of awkward 
you know when you watch movies people carry themselves with a certain class and charisma but a lot of these characters they speak in these strange monot like monotone voices except for the favorite i do think that like i really do like the lobster and the killing of the sacred deer um, because both films star my boy colin farrell who is an awesome actor i think he's really amazing and i think the favorite is a really interesting contrast to what you usually see in um, Yorgos's films but you know I feel like I'm just gonna break kind of break down the films uh, one by one each one of them kind of talking about them um, giving you kind of plot points and you know certain things I've noticed in the films I do have to say I really like his movies that have like all of his films like all three of the films like The Lobster, The Killing of the Sacred Deer and The Favorite they all have dark humor you know the lobster is a bit more comedic in just like its premise um it's about this man well okay one thing i do have to say about yorgos lanthimos's films he is an amazing director and amazing screenwriter but one thing i think that makes him stand out from other directors and screenwriters is that a lot of his films are based in reality a little bit but sometimes they feel like they're in an alternate universe you know like sometimes you start watching the movie and it seems normal enough and then as you get into it things kind of change and shift so he doesn't really like make films based in realism but there is a com there's a complexity to each character you know the writing in his film like the killing of the sacred deer the writing is so meticulous and interesting and it's just like kind of awkward in dialogue because when you watch the killing of a sacred deer everyone just kind of talks in this mon monotone voice and some of the things they say just sound kind of sarcastic in a way it's a little unsettling and awkward but you can see that they're taking it very seriously in a way so you kind of get drawn in by the awkwardness of the dialogue so then when something a bit more extreme is brought up it kind of takes you off guard but you realize that as you start when you start watching the movie you feel like the things that they're saying are sarcasm and you can't really take it seriously but you know that you're meant to take it seriously so then when something really like out of left field happens it's like oh so this is this is genuinely gonna happen are we genuinely watching this like it's it's strange and it's interesting and i think it really like draws you in i do want to start with the lobster which is which isn't the first yorgos lanthimos film i watched the first film of his that i watched was the favorite and i love the favorite but i think the lobster is so interesting and the lobster is definitely like a film that i would definitely recommend you guys to watch because i feel like it really does embody yorgos and the things he's trying to tell us you know this film is so interesting because it um it's set in our reality like our world but it's different you know in this movie single people are given 45 days to find a romantic partner or else they will be turned into animals you know colin farrell's character he joins the hotel because his wife left him for another man and he was in that relationship for like 12 years and so now he has to go to this hotel and find a new partner or else he'll be turned into an animal of his choice he brings a dog along with him and he finds out and we find out that the dog is his brother that his brother couldn't make it through the program and colin farrell's character david chooses to be a lobster and you know you're kind of watching these people just kind of connect to one another but they connect in such like they take one superficial characteristic about each other and then they proceed to fall in love and i feel like that's it's definitely a commentary on like relationships and how we strive to find the one the person we're meant to be with and obviously like the film kind of makes fun it's very absurd in a way like it's weird like taking 45 days to meet a loved one it's just like so out of the ordinary but there are reality shows like love is blind where contestants had to like took contestants had 10 days to go on blind dates with one another and then they had to marry the person that they matched with at the end of the game 
you know like love is blind like that reality show is real that's something that happens but if that was something that was forced upon every single person in your your city in your society in your area in your environment that would be weird that would be strange and off-putting but if it's normal for enough to be in tv why isn't it normal enough to be a part of someone's everyday lives you know what i mean and i think that probably he didn't think that deeply into it lanthimos but that was my reading into the film because i think that there are some people who watch this movie and think like that's weird that's so strange like that will never happen but it is something that people kind of think about you know what i mean like it is something that people um read into you know in like dating and relationships and i really like this movie because like it's very serious but it's funny you know um at one point Colin Farrell's character David he meets a woman and he pretends to be cold and heartless like her because he needs to be matched up with somebody and the woman you know they get married they're paired together and then the woman kicks his brother to death so when she sees that he's crying over the death of his brother who is a dog she proceeds to like she wants to out him and have him punished because he lied and they're not suitable for one another but instead I think like he kills her and then there's a maid that helps him like hide the body and then he runs away to be with the loners and the loners are a group that don't want to take 40 that don't want to be part of the program and the hotel and like finding a mate turn into an animal the loners live in the woods and they hang out and they like dance with earbuds in it's really weird like watching that scene with all of them dancing is hilarious but super interesting and while with the loners david meets a woman who is played by rachel vice whom i love i think rachel's really cool and i think why did i just randomly say rachel is kind of cool also rachel she doesn't have a name she's just known as like this short-sighted woman she's also the narrator of the film and eventually like david he's short-sighted and he meets rachel vice's character who's also short-sighted and then they just like fall in love with each other they communicate through gestures in the woods and uh easy they um they fall in love but then the leader of the loners finds out about rachel and david so she pretends to have rachel go into town to have surgery to fix her short-sightedness but instead she's blinded and so then david and rachel try to find other things in common with one another to see so that they connect so they can be together so that they can keep their love alive because short-sightedness was the only thing they had in common so instead david and rachel decide to run away to the city and david prepares to blind himself that way they can be in love and blind together which is wild and crazy but like it kind of does fit into like the desperation that some people need the desperation that some people have to be in relationships to be together and i really did love watching the lobster because i just found it weird how like if you fail to fall in love with someone you turn into an animal like the 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 when you watch the movie right there are young girls in this hotel and then there are grown men there which you know the film doesn't really go into like the specifics of ages or whatever maybe it does honestly i'm gonna be honest with y'all i didn't really rewatch these movies for this pod i'm so sorry but like I remember watching the movie and the girl from um, The End of the Effing World, she's one of the characters in the movie, The End of the Effing World, she's in this movie and she is like, she pairs up with this guy who's very clearly in his 30s and it shows like how they're just like marrying these people off so that they can like be together and like this strange emphasis on romance is really interesting and it's funny as sometimes it's a very interesting um satire in a way looking at like dating and like power structures and you know near the end of the film it's really sweet it's like a really sweet love story when you see the two of them like colin farrell and rachel weiss when you see them together 
as a couple like you're rooting for them in the end and like by the end of the film i'm kind of like yeah if he's gonna blind himself to be with his girl that's cute but there was this one second like the last shot of the lobster is rachel weiss sitting in a diner simply waiting for colin farrell to come back and he could easily like blind himself to be with her but they're two blind people in love just trying to make it out in the world that doesn't seem like a very smart thing to do you know what i'm saying so I like for a second when I was watching the end shot is literally just Rachel Weiss in a booth in a diner and as the scene kind of fades to black I kind of like get this feeling like maybe he did blind himself or maybe he just ran away maybe he just ran away and left her behind because he realizes that they have nothing in common and he just goes on the run and he tries to go back or maybe he tries to go to another maybe he leaves her behind and tries to get into another hotel so he can find a new soulmate you know what I'm saying? And that's another thing about Lanthimos's films. They always have a kind of ambiguous ending where you don't really know what happens at the end, where it's kind of like up in the air about like what happened to these characters and like I love The Lobster. I think it's really I think it is one of like his more enjoyable films it's a bit more lighthearted, I would assume from his other films from what I've heard about like Dogtooth and Alps I think that the lobster is a bit more lighthearted in his films and next film I want to talk about is The Killing of the Sacred Deer which I think is the most interesting movie I've ever seen because the film okay so the film is based on the ancient Greek tragedy of Iphigenia at Aulis, I think, by Euripides. In the myth, Agamemnon, the leader of the Greek army against Troy, accidentally kills a deer in one of Artemis's sacred fields. He is told by a seer that he must kill his eldest daughter, Iphigenia, in exchange. Agamemnon is initially reluctant but is pressured into sacrificing her by his commanders. In some tellings she is killed, in others she is transported elsewhere, replaced at the last moment with a deer goat by Artemis. Yes and I feel like I didn't know about this myth before watching this movie. I knew it was like a psychological thriller or like a horror film, but it's not really a horror, so to speak. Horrible things kind of do happen in this film and you don't, you do get scared watching this film, but I would characterize it as a thriller. But one thing for sure is that like, when at the most, he doesn't like to, um, he doesn't like to have his film fit into certain genres. He's always fine making films that go that take different elements from different genres and put it in his movies you know and I really do love the killing of the sacred deer because of the things that are unsaid in the film because of the things that are told in music you know you watch certain scenes where no one really says anything but you can tell through like eye contact and body language that something is going on in the movie and another thing that I really do love about Lanthimos he does a really great job of playing around with different elements of other genres I do think that the favorite may be like the favorite is definitely like a comedy it's an absurd comedy in my opinion and I feel like the lobster and the killing of the sacred deer is a good is a very interesting um way of bending certain elements in genre and film the one thing one thing about the killing of the sacred deer is that like i kind of watched it and when you watch the killing of the sacred deer you kind of have to suspend your belief i feel like the lobster is a film that's a bit rooted in realism where people are so focused on like mating and courting and dating and relationships and getting married and having kids and this timeline of your life where you have to do certain things in a certain amount of time or else you're behind everyone else and I feel like the lobster kind of takes an absurd look into that and like translates that into the film I think it's very I think the lobster is a very interesting um film 
and I think that the killing of the sacred deer it's just it's kind of it's just strange I don't know so the killing of the sacred deer it's about this cardiac surgeon played by Colin Farrell the character's name is Dr. Stephen Murphy and he becomes friends with this kid Martin and he becomes friends with this kid because his father died in a car crash and I think that um Stephen Murphy Dr. Stephen Murphy who's played by Colin Farrell was operating on his dad and his dad passed away I believe that's what happened and um so Colin becomes friends with Martin and he introduces Martin to his family because you know Martin's a nice kid or whatever and you watch the movie and like at the beginning it's just weird it's just weird because Martin is like a nice kid he's just like kind of awkward but sometimes he says things that are like out of pocket like he asked Dr. Steven to see his armpits to see if they're hairier than his and that's just like huh it's and also the camera angles the camera angles are like the camera angles are my favorite part of this film because the camera is never at eye level with the actor it's always like following the actor there are a lot of shots behind the head like Yorgos Lanthimos loves to shoot the back of people's heads and you're always I feel like the care I feel like the camera angle really does good do a good job of like telling the story because one thing about the killing of the sacred deer monotone voices right and a lot of times when you're watching a movie the tone and the emphasis that actors put into certain words when they're delivering delivering a line really tells you what the character is feeling in that moment but with the killing the sacred deer everyone just speaks in like such a flat tone that you can't really pinpoint the character's motivations and I think that like Lantham was definitely instructed his actors in that way because he doesn't want his actors to be too in their head about the motivations of the characters because he feels like he feels like that will lead to different intentions on what is on the page you know he wants them you know this mundane dialogue that they're carrying he wants things he knows that like in mundane dialogue it seems kind of boring but with Yorgos things are a lot more interesting when it's revealed gradually when it's revealed slowly you know the killing of the sacred deer starts off as a normal movie about a sturgeon who is friends with a young boy and his beautiful wife and his perfect children and the lovely life that they lead but as you watch the movie things get weird because martin basically like curses stephen murphy's family and he says that his family will fall very ill. You know, at first you will lose sensation of your limbs. You will not be able to walk. You will not be able to move your arms. Then you will no longer want to eat to the point of starvation. And then your eyes will start bleeding. And after that, you will die. And young Martin says to Dr. Stephen Murphy that in order to stop his family from being ill, he will have to kill one of his children to make up for killing Martin's father. And Steve, and Dr. Stephen Murphy doesn't believe him. He is a doctor. He looks to reason. He looks to science, you know. And also, Dr. Stephen Murphy, he's obviously someone who is very prideful in his intelligence because he is a cardiac surgeon. And he has this arrogance about him, you know. And so... When his children do start to lose their limbs, that's when things get weird. That's when you see, okay, this kid is like serious. One thing about the film, The Killing the Sacred Deer, one thing about um, the character Martin, he's like, he's so off-putting. He's so serious and he's so off-putting. And like, you know, this kid has like the confidence that, this, this confidence to be able to control a grown man's life to control it and destroy it just by the words in his in his just by the power of his words and when his kids do start losing sensation in their legs dr stephen murphy kidnaps martin and that's when i'm like oh so we get in in here we move it into this territory and then he beats the kid and the kid doesn't even flinch he's not scared he doesn't start crying he's just like you're running out of time 
and it's so weird it's like it shook me i was watching this movie and when things start getting a little off kilter it really does get off kilter and this is something like you can't relate to this you know this is a movie where you watch it and you're like oh yeah i've had a random teenager threaten to like slowly kill my family with a painful illness that i had no idea how to cure or take away like that's not that's not something that people it's not it's not rooted in experience you know what these characters are going through you have to like be engaged you can't be a passive watcher when you're watching lanthimos's films you are you know you're invested in what's going to happen you want to know what the end game is you want to know what the doctor will do is he going to kill one of his children or is he going to let all his kids slowly die because he is too arrogant to like it because him killing his him killing one of his kids is basically him admitting to the fact that he killed barry's father and he probably doesn't think that he did but martin has barry did i say barry's father i'm sorry the actor's name is barry um Kogan that's why I said Barry but the actor's name is Martin the young teenager it's so like I I like this another thing I like about the killing of the sacred deer it shows how control is an illusion you know the surgeon wants to be control over his life he um he's in control when he's performing surgeries over people he kind of feels like god in a way you know being able to like stop a heart in the middle of surgery and start it up again but when this kid comes in and brings this different kind of brings this violence into his house it really like sets him off you know and it doesn't feel like a straightforward thriller that like is heart pounding with like chases and stuff like with like it is a thriller you know and you watch it you don't think of it as a thriller or any I just I don't know how to describe it you know obviously Martin's character just wants retribution for what happened to his family you know he wants revenge and you know when you deal with stuff like there's always like guilt and fault and blame when it comes to death in the medical community and thinking about medicine and like hospitals and surgeries and stuff people already go to like the worst case scenario and already gets pretty bleak and you know heart surgeons always have to remove their emotions for when they are going into surgery and just kind of like have confidence that they'll do the right thing but when something happens to your family and you are not in control and you have to hurt your family in order to save it that really does put you in a different position you know and the killing of the sacred deer it's a slow burn but i don't mind a slow burn i love slow burns i oh my gosh i don't remember exactly what um i'm trying to think there was this mini series on hbo with amy adams that i'm googling like right now and i think it's called shallow things small things i'm not sure sharp objects wow that was wrong sharp objects I really did like that um I really did like that miniseries. It's a psychological thriller as well and it's a slow burn as well. And when I watch um uh, when I was watching The Killing of the Sacred Deer, I was thinking of this show cuz I rewatched it recently cuz The Killing of the Sacred Deer, I think that this Killing of the Sacred Deer this came out like 2017 around that time. I'm pretty sure I watched it around the same time I watched Sharp Objects. And I really like them because they're both slow burns that look into like uh, people and in their lives and stuff like that. I do have to say that I find the ending of The Killing of the Sacred Deer to be like the absurd part of it all. Because I think like the absurd part was like taking seriously the warnings of a teenager against a grown man. Because... Stephen really thought he could just like cure his family but he couldn't you know he couldn't cure his family though there's no way to do so and so in the end Stephen he decides to put his family in the living room bound by like tie them to chairs put like 
bags over their heads, I think. And he has a gun and he spins around a circle and he just shoots at whoever, you know? And that's just like, that was wild. That was wild watching that. I was just like looking at it. I was like, why are we doing this? Why is the, what, what is this? Cause it is hard. It must be difficult to pick which one of your children is going to die in order to save the rest of your family. But, um, the ending is when the family visits the same diner where Steven and Martin met and Martin enters and stares at them and the family looks at back at him and then the family leaves, you know, and that's just it. You know, Martin has received his retribution and now the family is kind of in shambles because of it all. And is it at the fault of the father for maybe like being maybe perhaps being drunk during the procedure that killed Martin's father or is it because Martin couldn't simply let go of the fact that his father died and he couldn't move on from it so he had to put his anger and his pain into someone else you know I think that like to have such a severe punishment excuse me at the end of the film excuse me it's interesting the lobster, I can never forget, like, I can't forget Steve, <laughs> I can't forget Colin Farrell just saying, like, oh yeah, I'd like to be turned into a lobster. Like, that's just like a normal thing, but it's so strange. And I feel like the way that the characters speak is to the benefit of the story because a lot of Lanthimos' films are a bit absurd or a bit strange or a bit out of character or a bit out of pocket. They're not at all something that you can really relate to. And I feel like the monotonous, the, mo- the, the, how, like, I feel like how, when the, okay, well, who cannot speak today? Me, that's who. With the actors speaking in only a monotone voice, it helps the, weirdness the absurdity of the film there are very dark elements at play in both of the movies but I feel like the favorite the favorite is definitely like a much more cheerful film in regards to Yorgos Lanthimos but I think it's also one of the first films he's made where he didn't write the screenplay the screenplay was basically written by like two nobodies that really don't have such impressive um credits and Yorgos is the director of this film and the producer of this film and honestly it's amazing it's one of the best films I've ever seen it's very funny um the favorite follows Queen Anne and her life now listen I'm not a history buff I don't know anything about the historical inaccuracies of this film relating to the real life of Queen Anne. I'm just here to talk about a movie, all right? Chill out. So the movie is set in the early 18th century Great Britain, and the film's plot examines the relationship between two cousins, Sarah, Duchess of Mar- Marlborough, who is played by Rachel Weisz, and Abigail Masham, who is played by Emma Stone, and both of them are trying to be the favorite of Queen Anne, who is played by Olivia Coleman. This whole film is a study in power, in power dynamics. You know, you start watching the movie and first of all, like production design, amazing hair and makeup, amazing, you know, and I do like the comedy of this film there are a lot of like interesting one-liners in this movie and (laughs) I it's my it's honestly like it's so funny and like so serious at times and the facial expressions like just like I feel like I could watch this movie without any sound and I could know what's going on because just like the way that like Rachel Weisz carries herself the way that she looks at Olivia Coleman when she's playing Queen Anne all of it is just so good So the film starts off with like Sarah, Duchess of Marlborough. She is the court advisor of Queen Anne and they have a very special relationship. And you know, does Sarah manipulate Queen Anne? Yes, she manipulates her for political favors that she believes will be the best for her country. 
And Sarah, at heart, she is loyal to Queen Anne. She's loyal to her country. She's doing what she believes is best for everyone. She is smart. She is calculating. She is conniving. And I think that Sarah, like, truly does love Queen Anne. And I feel like she does show her love through her honesty. She is one of the only people who tells Queen Anne what she thinks, how she feels. She is sincere and everything that she says to Queen Anne, and that's how she shows her love to her. You know, that's how she shows her compassion. Abigail Hill is Sarah's cousin. She has a really tragic past, and she comes to the castle given menial work, and then she tries to get close to Sarah, and Sarah, you know, allows her to. And Abigail realizes that if she gets close to Queen Anne, she will be able to receive things that will make her life better and at first abigail just seems like a really nice girl she seems naive she seems sweet and just like helpful in a way but you certain you soon learn that she is a lot more ambitious than sarah and she is willing to do whatever it takes so that she can live a positive life you know everything abigail does is a means to an end she finds out about uh, Sarah and the Queen's relationship and she decides to try and engage in a relationship with the Queen as well so that she can become untouchable and live her own life and the Queen like Olivia Coleman, phenomenal actress I love Olivia Coleman so much she's great in The Lobster even though you don't see her that much in The Lobster she's amazing in The Lobster I think that Olivia Coleman is really good in Broadchurch. If you've ever watched Broadchurch, it's so good. You have to check it out. It's her and David Tennant and they play detectives and she's amazing. She's great in Broadchurch. It's one of my fav favorite shows. And Queen Anne, she's quiet. She's frail. She has a lot of health issues. She's gone through a lot of miscarriages in her life and she has a rabbit for each baby she lost or child that died at a young age. And she keeps the bunny, so she plays with the bunnies as a way of playing with her children. But it's not the same thing, but it's a way to like just like kind of keep her happy. And Abigail starts playing with Queen Anne and her bunnies. And Abigail starts spending a lot more time with Queen Anne. And she goes to extreme lengths to try and secure her position next to Queen Anne, even to the point of poisoning Sarah, who goes missing for a long time. And by the time Queen and by the time Sarah comes back, Queen Anne and Abigail have become so close. And one of my my favorite shots of the film. One thing I love about Lanthimos camera work, it's it's amazing. One of my favorite shots of the film is when you see Queen Anne sitting down and her hair is just like out, it's long, it's beautiful. And then Abigail is behind her, by her shoulder. And when you're watching it, it just seems like Abigail is being a dedicated servant to her queen. She is on her beck and call. She's by her side. But in a way, it looks from the camera angle, it's pointing kind of down and up towards Olivia Coleman and Emma Stone. You can obviously see that Abigail is looming over her. She's dominating her. She's in control of Queen Anne. She now holds queen holds a place in queen anne's heart but it also means that she's able to emotionally manipulate her to doing what she wants so that she is secure in her position and that she is safe and that she is untouchable in a way and i like the favorite i love the rival the rivalry between sarah and abigail i think that the queen does deserve someone who loves her and takes care of her and abigail like she can't fail you know, she, the life that she used to live was terrible and it's clear to her that everything she's doing is a means of survival because she doesn't want to go back to the life that she was living before. She needs a better life than that and she's doing everything that she can so that she can just like stay protection. And the fight for control is shown on the screen. I love this movie so much. And I do love Olivia Coleman. I feel for, I like genuinely feel for Queen Anne when watching this movie because you can see that she's unstable. You know, she, there are times where she has mental breakdowns. And one amazing thing about the camera work in The Favorite is that there's this one scene where um, 
everyone's dancing like there's a party or whatever another thing i want to note it's very obvious that sarah doesn't care about like the absurdities of being a rich royal but she does it because it's good to keep up appearances she doesn't care about the wigs and the makeup and like the weird scene where they were throwing rotten fruit at that naked man dancing like she doesn't care about all that stuff she doesn't care about the dances and the absurdity of it all she cares about being close to queen anne and being in her favor because she knows that being by queen anne's side is the best position to be in in 18th century England and another thing about this film is that Lanthimos is obviously like laughing in the face of the absurdity of royalty and being rich in class like these rich people only care about money and their wealth and their status and it seems that Abigail cares about her status as well in the beginning Abigail seems like someone who simply is striving for survival She's just trying to get to a place where she is safe, where she is okay, where she will no longer be hurt by other people and she'd be able to live her own personal life. And the whole film, there is a war looming over Great Britain and they're trying to figure out what's best for the people in the countryside. But obviously these people don't really care about the people in the countryside. They're doing things for their own personal motives. They're doing stuff for their own personal benefit. You know, you can see that Rachel Weisz's character, Sarah, loves the queen, cares for the queen, loves her country, is loyal to her country. But there are times where she oversteps her bounds and she is in a bit, she takes too much control, you know? And I do think like, ultimately, Sarah is one of the better characters in this film, in my opinion, because of how honest she is. And Sarah knows that there are times where she's honest to Queen Anne and it hurts Anne's feelings, but that's how she shows her love because she's not going to lie to her. Abigail is more than happy to lie to Queen Anne, to hold her hand, to flatter her, to do whatever, just to put a smile on that face. But that's not really love. That's not sincerity. She's simply doing that so the queen likes her. You know, the queen likes her more and wants her around more because the queen needs someone to lift her up. But with someone who, the queen doesn't need anyone who lies to her. You know, Abigail is her one tether to reality. Abigail is the one person who is honest with her, but not Abigail, Sarah. Sarah's the one person who's honest with her, but Abigail can't have that. So Abigail lies to the queen and says that Sarah steals from the queen. And Sarah, you know, she writes a letter to the queen and Abigail burns the letter near the end. And then the queen being frustrated with Sarah not talking to her at all, um, the queen commands that Sarah and her husband be exiled from England and that just leaves Abigail and the Queen and there's this last scene where Abigail steps on one of the rabbits because she feels like she is superior to the rabbits who are just a shell of love that the Queen uses to mimic the love that she would receive from her children and then the Queen tells Abigail to like come over there come to her rub her leg and we see this last shot where Abigail may think that she's won. In the end, she feels like she has won. She has gained the favor of the queen. You know, throughout the film, she is steadfast in gaining position in the queen's council. And you think that she's doing all of this just for survival, but it's just an act. You know, she does this just for a means to an end. Does Sarah manipulate the queen emotionally? Like, does Sarah emotionally manipulate the queen? Yes. Is her love rooted in her own aspirations? Yes. But at the end of the day, Sarah is the one who's sincere in all of it. You know, Queen Anne is a vehicle for both of these people's ambitions and aspirations and what they want to see. And it sucks because obviously there, it takes a real toll on Queen Anne, her being emotionally manipulated between two people. But Sarah is really the person who loved her in the end. Sarah was the only person who was honest with her and true with her. And Sarah is now free from the toxic nature of the court. She doesn't have to deal with Nicholas Holt's character who was pretty good, like really funny, like really interesting. But like, because they're such, they're so like Olivia Coleman, Emma Stone, Rachel Weiss, they all play three dominating, amazing, phenomenal characters in this movie that even in the camera angles, like they keep fighting for the attention of the camera, for the attention of the queen, for the attention of the court. 
The film was amazing and everyone else in the movie just kind of falls to the background because you're focused on these three people and you're focused on the like heated rivalry, the fight for power in this movie. And, uh, excuse me, the one thing I do like, the one thing I love, like sincerely do love are the dynamic, sorry, the dynamic, the, the what? Words? The dynamics of the characters' relationships, how layered they are, how complex they are. And, you know, Sarah, she may manipulate the queen, but she's loyal. She has a true love for Anne. And Abigail is only loyal to herself. You know, Abigail betrays her morals. She is conniving and like, she's willing to hurt people to get what she wants. And at the beginning of the film, of course, I'm rooting for Abigail. I want her to be better. I don't want her to be with people who hurt her. But you soon see that like she's been hurt so many times that like she's willing to push the boundaries and she's willing to do whatever it can, whatever she can to get what she wants. And we watch as you watch the film, you see the dominoes fall, you know. It's a very interesting story of power and just love and I think one of my favorite scenes of the film oh my gosh one of my favorite scenes was the goose chase which is really weird like really strange you know like there are these serious um scenes of like talking about the war and like the effect it's going to have on the country people but then you see the goose chase and it's just like this weird heightened sense of reality of like how these rich people, do they actually care about the people who are going to war or are they just obsessed with things that don't matter? You know, like Rachel Weisz cares about what's good for the country, but at the same time, she doesn't really matter. She doesn't, it doesn't really matter to her. You know, what matters to her is Queen Anne. Yeah, but the film is amazing. It's great. I think thematically, it's very consistent with all of his other films. You know, I've only seen two of Lanthimos' films, but he's an amazing director and Rachel Weiss, she, Rachel Weiss, Olivia Coleman, Emma Stone, they kill it in this movie. They are really great. And it does break my heart. Like the ending breaks my heart because you see that the queen is stuck with Abigail, someone who doesn't really love her, someone who doesn't really care for her, someone who's going to lie to her. And she realizes that she messed, she messed up by exiling Sarah because Sarah was the one person who was true and honest with her and showed her her true heart's intent and Abigail is just a manipulator you know Abigail lied to achieve to achieve her own agenda and she doesn't really care about the queen's happiness she's just doing she's just she's just faking it until she can maintain her own station like she literally married a man so that she could become a lady that way she could stay by the queen's side but she doesn't even care about her husband she goes to the party and she openly flirts with other men in front of her husband you know she stays with the queen in the queen's lair, the queen's lair, the queen, the queen's, the queen, the gosh, words. What do they mean? How do you say them? You know what I, you know what I'm talking about? You know, at the end of the day, Anne is stuck in her own personal hell. And so is Abigail. Abigail becomes the queen's plaything, a shell of love that she will never receive. And, you know, the queen doesn't have anyone around her she can trust. She doesn't have anyone around her who really loves her. And she was just blinded by, like, hurt and her own personal emotions as she acted irrationally. And, you know, I think the ending is very interesting. I found the ending really weird. I found the ending very, like, just the imagery was weird, obviously, with, like, Queen Anne and then Emma Stone and then, like, the rabbits layered on top of each other showing like the different um dy dynamics but all in all if you do want to watch um a yogos lanthimos film i would recommend the lobster i feel like that's a really interesting film to watch with a bunch of other people i feel like the lobster is a really good film because we all can relate to like dating and relationships and like falling in love and stuff like that and i feel like the lobster does a really interesting look into what love really is and what is it that we are striving for when we are looking for courting and stuff like that we're looking to court with one another um so yeah that's basically it 
I really hope you guys enjoyed um, this kind of rundown of Yorgos Lanthimos' films. I do love, I love that he has films that have a lot of dark humor to them and are set in really absurd circumstances. You know, there is a lot of um, ambiguous endings to his movies, but what really matters is the way that people interact with one another, like the characters and how they act. And visually, like, is it very, there, he makes very interesting films, you know? He makes films that are in our own reality, but they're kind of out of the ordinary, you know? He makes films that are based in our world, but they're twisted to create a new mythology. All in all, his movies are super great. They can be very dark and macabre, but at the same time, they're kind of funny and sarcastic and absurd and just engaging and interesting and all in all very unique, you know? So if you guys are looking for a new director, new films to get into, definitely like watch The Favorite. The Killing of the Sacred Deer is a slow burn, but once you get into it, like once the action starts, it gets wild like it gets interesting like you can't look away you're completely like engaged involved in it all and I think The Lobster may be one of my more favorite films of his and it is a film I would definitely recommend you guys watch like The Lobster is very good the favorite is amazing and I think it's really funny and really cool and you know uh I'm very like I'm really glad that Olivia Coleman won best actress because she really did kill it as Queen Anne. I still do think that um, Glenn Close did deserve some award for the wife, but you know, I'm not on any award award ceremony, awards voting committee, you know what I'm saying? But yeah, that's basically it. Um, yes, uh, that was me talking about Yorgos Lanthimos and his three most recent films. The Killing of the Sacred Deer, The Lobster, and The Favorite. If you guys like this podcast, please feel free to follow it, uh, subscribe. Um, if you have something you would like, if you have a movie or a director or a TV show you want me to talk about, feel free to email me at dulcium at hotmail.com. Thank you so much for listening once again. I uh, just want you guys to know I stream on Twitch now. It's not really like this kind of, it is this format. It's literally me like on live just like talking about stuff feel free to pop into my twitch at any time and like hang out you know and that's it for today thank you so much for listening once again stay blessed